This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome, 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 welcome to F1 with DRS. Um, very exciting pop in this morning from America's number one Formula One fan, Kristen Annie Bell. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? I'm great. How have you been navigating this long, fucking arid gap between races? Are you just devastated? You know, I have been so depressed. I I thought to myself, I guess I'll just parent my kids. So I've been focusing mainly on the kids, but just, again, to get me through from race to race, obviously. Are you spending any of this free time fantasizing about this fucking hunk from across the pond? Look at this piece of shit. Jethro? Jethro. Oh, yes. I know. Of course. He's why I wanted to come up here to say hi. No, he looks like he just stepped off the the cover of GQ. I know. You know what I just learned? He cut his own hair during COVID. So there's three people on this podcast that can Are hot cut their own you. hair. Self-groomers. Yeah, I, I still do that. I mostly cut my own hair, but I did go to a hairdresser this time. I thought I'd treat myself. Hun, what, just what are your carnal feelings <laughs> about Jethro? Keep talking. Keep talking. It's a safe space. Oh, I don't even care if it wasn't a safe space. I'm going to be honest regardless. Jethro uh-huh. is an attractive piece of shit. Yeah, he's, he's got the, really the— He's got the X factor, doesn't he? He does from the moment I met him. First, the accent. Ah, uh. Obviously. Mm. He sounds so much smarter than he is. That's so, yeah, he sounds so much smarter (laughs) than he is, but that's just the tip of the iceberg because he knows a lot about everything, Mm. but he doesn't come across as crazy overconfident. Mm. He kind of just slides information and intellect Uh, 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 and uh, uh, charm into every conversation and it's sexy as hell. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's the proverbial wolf in sheep's clothes. I would say he comes in with a smile and charm, maybe even a gift. (laughs) And, and you will. Here's the thing and about he leaves with your wife. You won't see it coming. <laughs> That's the cool thing about Jethro. That's what I like the surprise X factor. <laughs> it doesn't even hit you until you watch him exiting your house in the morning, where you go, "Oh wow, that all happened." Yeah, yeah. He got me. He sure. He gave me the he gave me the textbook Bovingdon. <laughs> okay, I'm out. This You're has out. been a great podcast, guys. Yeah. I've in, enjoyed. I'm just going to record that and run it on loop for a while. Instead of you being out, how about I get out? Well, hold on, though. I, while we have you. <sighs> 
Okay. Do you have any questions, Charlie? Your your other boyfriend's here, Charlie. All my boyfriends All are here. Boyfriends I like to keep my tribe close. <laughs> keep your friends close and your boyfriends closer. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I guess here's, how about this? I'll start with a, a collective thank you for allowing me to have a hobby that virtually consumes Thursday night till Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Oh, I'm grateful for the break. It's second oh. to golf. It's second to golf, maybe. <laughs> is it less than golf or is it's it? It's pretty close. It's got to be pretty close. Pretty damn tied if you're yeah. doing everything. But at least we spread it out over a couple days instead of one day of six hours of putting around. Yeah, yeah, six hours of see you later. Also, it is a little. It's it's understandable to watch F1 from my perspective. I mean, I enjoy watching it. Sometimes golf, I feel like what. What are we doing? What are we doing? What's going on? Are yeah. we just like it feels a little bit like a screensaver? Like you're mm. just staring at a screensaver? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now this would be a prime opportunity to mention what I think is one of the best jokes you've made in the 16 years I've known you. We were at the Austin Grand Prix, and you and I were on the grid, which was very exciting, so fun. Right before the race. Yeah. And we're walking around, and we're kind of trying to get peeks at the drivers sitting in the cars. IRL, yeah. Uh, in real life, yep. And we're making our way down the grid. And as we start approaching the red Ferrari of Charles Leclerc, what do you say to me, hon, as we're walking? We're getting a little close to the car. We're, we're approaching Charles Leclerc, and you say? I said, hon, you don't, you don't happen to have a, a piece of paper with my phone number written on it, do you? <laughs> <laughs> and that, that got you Oh man, it got me I didn't then, expect it, it to get you It continues to get me I think about it like, I don't know Every couple of weeks I have a little silent <laughs> chuckle You don't even have a piece of paper uh, my, my number my on it My phone number in Do you? My, I can't get it either When I try to repeat it, I can never it's nail It's because you reverse it You mm. say, you don't have my phone number written on a piece of paper, do you? And the joke doesn't work like You don't that. have my Charles Leclerc for an affair with a piece of paper and your phone number See, that's why See how even there he got really clunky. I guess yeah. it didn't sound nearly as elegant. <laughs> that was a highlight. And then you also, you went to the Austrian Grand Prix. I did. And you fell in love with the Williams boys. They were both so oh, nice. Oh my. Nicholas Latifi. They couldn't have been nicer. Latifi was so nice. Album was so nice. And Dan, who was Latifi's trainer. Good memory. Couldn't have been sweeter. And the girls were there with us. And he could tell that the only thing the girls really wanted to do, because they couldn't really get a view of the TV. And what we've learned from going to the races is you can't see the whole track. You don't see so shit. All they wanted to do was play the video game, which is like in each- um, Little simulator. Yeah. yeah, the simulator. So he decides to ask them if they want to train. And Delta just got so into it. So he had this tennis ball and he, he did what he does to Latifi before the race, which is like drop it and you have to catch it really quickly. It's like reflex training. And it was so cute and generous of him. What, since you've been so kind to join us at these races, and I know it's not your number one thing. When you're there though, what are the highlights for you? What is the fun part? Uh, uh, the fashion. The fashion. For sure. Dressing up for having something checkerboard, maybe something red just for a pop pop. Not to you know, align myself with Ferrari, but just to have some sort of a pop, white jeans, those feel right. You know, mm. I really like a head-to-toe look. What about mm. the fan fashion? I like watching that. Austin to Miami is like 180. True. It is difficult to get a full read on the fan fashion when the entire stands are covered in orange smoke. 
(laughs) you can't see the people because they're in this cloud of orange smoke and you're like, God, are there people in there? If there are, can they breathe? Are they alive? Are they alive? (laughs) But what about, does anything, oh my God, I have a present on my chair. It's an F1 sweatshirt. What? Earth. Wobby Wob, did you Yeah, I got a couple of these made. This little rascal, he's the cutest little rascal we've got. He's mischievous. Um, but do you ever get, does it even transcend the sport ever to your total lack of interest in motorsports? When they fire that bastard up in the garage or anything and they're pulling out on the pit lane, do you get a boner at any point? Does any of it arrest you and capture your... Yeah, so my interest is the prep and the teamwork involved, like particularly being able to see it out on the grid, which is like such a privilege. The In everybody's garage, seeing, first of all, how many people are there and knowing that they'd actually don't want more bodies down there. So knowing everyone's kind of imperative to this system and seeing all of the checks and then how everyone has to handle a different portion of the car and then getting the driver in there. And then also like realizing how strenuous it is to actually drive one of those things, like seeing how tight the space is and um, how claustrophobic the helmets can feel. I have an immense respect for the teamwork that actually gets the driver out onto the road. Um, And then once they're circling on the road, it's just like a cute little dance for me. And I'm like, well, one of them's going to win. We know that. You know, one of them's going to— And his name's Max. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very good chance it'll be Max. <laughs> so you like the logistics. I do like yeah. the logistics. And yeah, the I like claustrophobia. I like everyone on different computers with headsets. Mm-hmm. It feels, you know, very NASA like. Yeah, I was gonna say it feels like the closest you're ever gonna get to being in a launch room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, and it, and it, technically it is. And also when they change the tires during a blink, during a human blink, that mm. is absolutely fascinating to me because I have so much trouble even getting those, you know, those, what are the oh, things that are shaped like a star and they come with the Ikea furniture through. and you have to push yeah. them into something and twist it? Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I don't know the name of that. Anybody know the name like of that? Like a little catch system. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it comes and it's like a... But you only give it a, you give it a quarter a crank, crank. And, oh, it, and it locks it in. It yeah. captures the screw. Yeah. yeah. I have yeah. so much trouble using those and I have to like close one eye and aim like a rifle to even get it in there. And the fact that they can have those huge drills and change the tires... It's fascinating. When you're down there, does it feel like everyone has a role? I always see all these people. And I'm like, there's no way everyone has a job because there are people running around. <laughs> sure. It feels very chaotic, but I know that I don't know enough to like- Rule not, one of them up. Not challenge. Yeah. yeah. Because the one you're going to pick off is going to be the one they need that yeah. day. Well, and like you said, they don't want random people down there. So I'm yeah. assuming well, we everyone were down. Some- we were down there. So I guess it's okay if some randos are down there. Well, think about that. You know, occasionally they'll they'll have like uh, they'll have to bring it in and scan the whole car with that bizarre contraption. They're doing a laser scan of the whole floor pan or whatever. I imagine that person's just kind of waiting, like the kicker on a football team. Like, all right, get Jerry and his scanner out. Yep, and they're also specialized that you can't cross over too much. Everyone's got their one specialty. You can't have one guy that's doing 10 different jobs. Well, you know what else is kind of sexy to me about being in that room is that I am such a big fan. Uh, Something I find very attractive is someone who can 
picture the macro of the, the whole operation. So like you're saying, if Jerry is waiting to turn one bolt, but he's got to know that Larry and Kyle and Dylan and- Buck and Pete. Buck and, and Pete and Sarah all have to go before him. He's actually having to pay attention to that. To me, that's a little bit like- the level of intellect required to run a family calendar where there's so many moving. I mean, I'm only relating it to things that I know, which I believe are like logistically. um, Ikea furniture, the family calendar. Difficult, but also um, really like exciting. Mm -hmm. And to remember that everybody has to have eyes, not only on their own shit, but on everybody else's uh, shit as well. Well, you love a team. You love a oh, community. I, lo- I love a it's community. It's the ultimate village. Yeah. Okay, I know you got to go, but it would I would be remiss to not ask you because we've had four dude opinions on who's sexy in Formula One. It seemed crazy not to get your picks while we have a female present. Who's hot? Let's go. Let's do two categories as is traditional here on F1. Um, one's just straight up hotness. You're walking in the street and you're going to fucking whip that head around and take a peek at what you just passed. Who is it? Give me top three. Well, Charles Leclerc, obviously. Oh, yeah. Just the face structure is unbeatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jethro Bovington is not in F1, just to remind you. He can't be on your list. Well, he first of all, he can be on my list because <laughs> okay, it's okay. my list. Oh, okay. But my you're asking list. about um He did F1. drive from McLaren, so Yeah. Well, <laughs> Jordan, but close. I'll take it. <laughs> okay, Jordan. Um You can include team principles too. Oh well. Oh, yeah. just well, waiting for you to say total. Of course, I know, I know. I this is his fantasy answer. coming out. You know, here's the problem with me. Here's the thing. The the if we're talking just about face structure, obviously Toto and Leclerc. Mm. But I love your accent, Jethro. I am I can't do it on Toto or Charles. Why not? What is the I, problem? It's, it's just you don't not. Want to hear me it's tell not you, oh my me. god, your Brazil looks so no. sexy. Take it off and put it on the ground. No. That and even the French, I, did, I didn't realize once I started getting into Leclerc, mm. I was like, no, I need- You are in show business? No, I, mm. for me, my, okay, my like, most, obviously Danny, because uh. I, there's something about a man who can smile so confidently and have such an air of happiness about him that mm. is incredibly attractive. Mm. Smiley men, you don't, you don't realize how, like this whole thing about like women should smile more, incorrect. <laughs> Men should be smiling more. You'd get so much more ass. There's yeah. so, you'd have so much just better luck in life. Men who smile are, oh, mm. I'm, mm. it's overwhelming. It's your and kryptonite, it sounds like. It is. And yeah. Danny's always smiling. He is. And he's always goofing. Yeah, he's so funny. Have you heard him pronounce, oh, Nico Hulkenberg. Have you heard him pronounce it? No. Nico Hulkenberg. There's all these clips of him. He's, he did it on Drive to Survive, and now it's a thing. He says, Nico Hulkenberg. <laughs> See? He's, <laughs> he's a good so funny. Um, but as far as actual attractiveness, like who I would grab his hand and lead into the boudoir, Okay, so that's category number two, in my opinion, is who blows your mind between the sheets? I think science. Yeah, you got See, good taste. See, I, he looks like he's dealing with something. Mm. He always mm. looks like he has a pressing issue that's far more important than any of my issues, and it's weighing on him, and I just want to alleviate a little bit of his stress. And the only antidote to his suffering is tapping that ass. That's right. Yep. <laughs> it's the that only piece. Ass. 
you will know is when he turns that ass. The up. only piece of the puzzle missing is my piece. Is <laughs> this piece? piece. <laughs> but I also kind of love. He makes the races more interesting because he's always got his. There's so much drama. He's on fire. He's, on, he's exactly wheeling. Okay, this this is gonna be a bombshell. <clears throat> So uh, at this race in Austria that we were so lucky to uh, attend, we happened to be staying at the only hotel you can stay at at the track, and most of the drivers were staying there. And our 10-year-old is obsessed with the drivers. In fact, curiously so. She's met many, many movie stars that have come over, or she sees them coming in and out of the attic to get interviewed. She mostly could care less. They could mostly care less about actors that are super famous. They have the occasional singer they still think is like really crazy impressive but we had not seen this reaction where our 10 year old was leaving the table every six minutes to quote go to the bathroom so she could scan the restaurant for who else was in there and she would run back to the table and go charles Leclerc's over he's on the he's sitting in that look behind that pole and, and then, she did she was doing that thing that bill Hader does on snl when he plays uh he, he's on weekend update where she has her hands covering her face <laughs> Because she's so excited and almost embarrassed. Embarrassed, shy, all these weird emotions. It was wild to watch. She was breathing heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking starstruck. Yeah. So the the big whammy comes. um, Carlos Sainz is sitting literally two tables over. And now she's going to the bathroom every, I don't know, 90 seconds. She's got to go to the bathroom Mm -hmm. to get more eyes on him. So she comes back to the table and she says, "Um, can we say hi to Carlos when we leave? And I said, well, let me ask you this. Do you like when people come over and say hi to us at the table uh, who recognize us? And she said, no. And I said, okay, well, he's the same as us. So he's with his friends having dinner. I said, the only way that I'm comfortable with you going over and saying hi is if you make the experience so memorable that it was worth the interruption. And she's like, okay, well, what would what would that be? And I said, I eat. I know what I would say. No, you then, said oh. there's only one thing you can say. And <laughs> I know exactly probably probably what sure. that thing is. And she said, What? And you said, I don't know if you're ready. And I'm looking at this interaction like, where is this going? And she goes, No, okay, okay, tell me. And you you just couldn't have put too fine a point on it. You said, There's only one thing you can say to him. Right. And she said, What? And you said, Hi, Carlos. You drive like a motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) No, you didn't even say hi. You just said, Carlos, you You drive drive like a motherfucker. And I said... But no, you know what it was? It was, excuse me, Carlos. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was, excuse me, Carlos, get his attention. You drive like a motherfucker. And then, and I said, and then you walk away. You're not sticking around for any more chit chat. You just let him know how you feel. He's going to think that's pretty amazing coming from a then nine-year-old little blonde girl. And I said, why don't you add a handshake? I think that will punctuate <laughs> the sentiment. And so what what the what the choreography was that we the were- blocking. The blocking. And mm. what we were going over was walking up, excuse me, Carlos, his blocking would then turn, hold your hand out. Present. Present your hand. He shakes it. You drive like a motherfucker. Right in the eyes, right down the barrel. Yeah. 
She panicked um, and then began practicing this delivery for the next 20 minutes of the dinner. And I'm thinking, she's like, I can't do that. Yes, I can. I got to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to, it was a total. <laughs> a roller coaster. I was like watching someone prep to jump off like a 40 foot bridge, talking <laughs> themselves in and out of it. And I really was like 80% certain she wouldn't do it as we were leaving the restaurant. And all of a sudden we're leaving. And she just peels off to the left. And I stand about four or five feet behind her. I don't really want to um, taint this in any way. So she, I hear she walks up. She goes, excuse me, Carlos. And he turns around. And he's like, oh, hi. He's very immediately nice. And she said, um, hold her hand out. And he shakes it. And she goes, you drive like a motherfucker. And then turned around and, and bolted. Bolted. But as she bolted, the whole table erupted <laughs> in what? Ooh, <laughs> laughter. Like they couldn't. There was, now here's where I, I don't want to tell this part of the story because I want it to just be a, uh, an absolute grand slam. There was a language barrier where I think, and, and I didn't really think of the context. That was the weekend, if anyone remembers, that Charles and he were competing very hard for during qualifying. And uh, he was not kind of playing his, quote, role. He wasn't helping Charles at all. And Charles kept saying, if we're going to fight each other, we're never going to beat Max. There was, there was the most infighting I've seen. And so with the language thing, I think, because he said after she left, I heard him say, Oh, she must be a, her, her dad must be a Charles fan. <laughs> he said that? Yes. I thought yes. he said you. Mu she must have heard that from her dad. Maybe that was it. Regardless, I thought, oh, he might not realize you bad. drive like a motherfucker is like the there apex a, compliment. There was a be. chance that he thought she was, this nine-year-old was, was throwing him dirty. some shade. <laughs> he was driving yeah, I mean, dirty. You, it's like saying you drive like an asshole is so different, but to yeah. him, it's like he, he yeah. Yeah, I know. Asshole and motherfucker could have the same translation. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Uh, it was a big victory for the Shepherd household. We were so proud of her, and we thought it was so funny. And then the next day, if people remember, his car caught on fire on lap 13, and he sat on the side of the track forever. If you remember, the car was going to roll into the track, so he's like both That's trying right. to stop it and get away from it because it's on fire. And when it finally, the wheel got blocked, uh, he then just sat there next to the burning car. And I thought, is he thinking that that little girl jinxed him? Well, I saw he when he was sitting on the side of the car, I saw him mouth, I do drive like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> My car is on fire like a motherfucker. Okay, All I have right. to go. I'm late for a Zoom. I love you too. Participation. Bye, boys. Bye, Kristen. Thank you, Kristen. Bye. Stay tuned for more F1 with DRS. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. 
Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Guys, Laura killed it at Blackjack last night. Tell me what happened. Oh, uh, first time playing blackjack. We sat at the table. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It was Laura's first time playing blackjack at yep. 38, 9, whatever she is. Yeah, she sat down because it's our first anniversary. So the the gift is paper. So we said, let's take out cash hmm. and let's just have fun. She went to the slots, lost money real quick. And I went over to the roulette table and I came back with a bunch of black chips. And she was shocked. She just like, she doesn't gamble. She was like, what is happening? You were gone for 10 minutes. Does this mean you were a big winner at roulette? Did well at roulette, really well. Oh, then wow. Then we went to a blackjack <laughs> table and an empty one, sat down, and both of us, I played a little bit before, but I still don't know when you need to hit, when you need to do all these things. And I said, please describe what we have to do, help us through it. And this dealer was amazing. And Laura walked out of there up, I think, $800 in like an hour. And couldn't be more ecstatic. Like mm. I've never, I've honestly never seen her happier. She just doesn't gamble. So she doesn't understand like what it feels like when you win money gambling. And I feel like this, there's something suspicious. Uh, this is everyone's first trip to a casino is this, this was mine. My, my mom yeah. was letting me gamble at like 19 kind of uh -huh. shielding me from the pit boss. Same thing. I turned $3 into like 180, mind you, not knowing to pump my bet. I didn't know any of this shit. Yeah. I probably could have won thousands. But yeah, if everyone's first experience seems to go that way. And then you're chasing that for the rest of your and life. And that's what they hope for. And they get it. They yeah. want your first experience to be incredible. We're hoping she still has the first time luck today. Mm. That's what I'm hoping for. We're going right back to those tables after this. Well, she certainly won't. <laughs> I think it's time to quit. This because this is technically yeah. the second time. This We're is doubling down. <laughs> we're gonna double down. I put that two hundred dollars that I owe Dax aside, and we're we're, <laughs> we're going hard on the rest. Or actually, I'm gonna put Dax's money on red. That's right. You gotta and double. It's gonna be gone. It's gonna be gone. What were you gonna say, Jethro? I was just gonna say, yeah, maybe her gift to you should be paying Dax his uh, his UK <laughs> yeah. victory mm -hmm. from all of us, just as a community. You know, that's yeah. right. Well, it is kind of yeah. suspicious that it's exactly eight hundred dollars. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that's what's outstanding. I got this, guys. I'll just settle it all up. It's fun. I'm I'm monogamous and sober. So right there we have we're out of the two great and then I have surrendered to the notion I'm never gonna win at gambling again. So when I sit down, I'm like, well, 
my goal is not to win money. It's like, how long can I make this amount last that I've agreed I'll lose? So you take the way the, the fucking and the drinking and the gambling, you don't have much going on. No. Cirque Do you intend to go to the F1 there? Yeah, you just said the F1 race. Yeah, do you intend to go? To, to go? It's like, isn't it like 25,000 bucks for a grandstand seat and three nights at the hotel or something? Is that what the package is? I think the packages have just come out and it's, I'm sure I read it was thirteen or 14,000 bucks for two nights and grandstand seats. That was at the win or somewhere. I, to be honest, I find Vegas to already be a little overwhelming. There's, it's, yeah. I'm not a, I'm not a that big of a riffraff uh, scene. Most people are hammered. There's a desperation there. That's dudes who want to fuck that aren't going to. It's not going to happen. And they're down money. They've spent more than they promised they were going to. And then they're hammered. That's just a real rough recipe, I think, when you're cruising around the streets. So then uh. you add that group that's already there to the 390,000 spectators that were in Austin, I'm just a little scared of this scenario. Although my yep. father-in-law lives there and he's very, very excited to host. He knows it's my big passion. So um, I, I have some familial pull to go, but I, I think I'd rather be watching it with you guys in the basement. Yeah, the potential for chaos sounds a little exciting. <laughs> just a little, if you could witness it from afar. Yeah, yeah. It's already yeah. so great to just walk and watch. That I can only imagine that weekend's going to be times yeah. 10. Yeah, if I had like a little mini um, hot air balloon, I could hover above it, yep. the chaos. <laughs> Maybe we can get a, a drone pilot to yeah. just send us live footage. We'll stay at like a fucking, what, was, what are some of those weird towns you're at before you get there? Something station. Yeah, uh, state line. State line. Yeah, I maybe mean, we'll get a get a few nights at state line and run a run a drone. Yep. yep. <laughs> Do you want to go, Jethro? Sounds crazy, right? I don't know. I'd like I'd like to see them go down the strip. I think I think it's pretty cool, isn't it? It's, and it's yeah. the first one. It's hard to know how long it'll last there, but um, I don't know. I still got a lot of the old tracks that I love to tick off. Like I've not been to Monza and places like that, so I want to see them at Spa. So Vegas is down the list, but I suspect it'd be a, it, it would be a fun weekend. I'm sure. I suppose I I haven't studied the layout of the track enough, but do, is like the strip a DRS zone? Are they going to be going like two hundred four down the strip? Because I guess you're right. That's I think it is. Yeah, yeah. I think it must be ripping down there at night would be pretty cool to see. And for us, it's so yeah. close that it's if it was a flight, it's out. Yeah, it's like or a long flight, but it's so close, and yeah. that would be rad to just having walked down there and then see those cars ripping down there would be pretty. But yeah, maybe two hundred five on the. The boulevard's not to be missed. Oh, this is interesting. I got an email this morning from Williams saying, hey, if you're going to be in Miami, we can get you paddock passes and everything and um, make available the drivers for interview. Ooh. I also can imagine us being in Vegas for work-related reasons. Yeah. 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 Or we could maybe switch that invitation to Canada. Yeah. Why not? Yes. We're, we're there already. Is that one of your great um, wish list tracks, Jethro, Montreal? I do like Montreal, actually. As, again, it's like just a little bit old school. So many crashes, the Wall of Champions. There's been a lot of drama there. That massive, have you ever seen the big old Robert Kubica crash from years ago where he barrel rolled the car? It, it was spectacular. It was like a uh, plane crash, basically. But he got out and the next, yeah, I think, the next year, he either stuck it on pole or something like that. You know, everyone was like, how's he going to cope getting back there? And then he stuck it on the front row, I think. Yeah. So, and I, I love that guy. So, yeah, I'd like to go there too. I've never been to Canada full stop. Well, 
I would really love to figure out how to watch it from a boat, which shocks me uh, at that race. There's not more yeah. boats because there's that huge section of lake that is virtually empty. That's just yeah. begging for a pontoon boat with some oh, Charlie man in the grill. Ooh, mm. yeah. Some fucking Matt cutting hair on the bow. Oh, and it's a good place for food. Montreal is one of my favorite places to eat in the world. It's unbelievable. It also has the great reputation of having sent many A-list actors to rehab, if you guys know. Like, there's been oh. a, a litany of people who've shot movies in Montreal and then immediately entered rehab when it when it, when <laughs> well, production Well, it's a party ended. scene, and in Montreal, the drinking age is 18. Oh, so man. I remember when we were in high school, we would go to Montreal to party when we were 18, and it is ragers. Okay, so Baku is still a year and a half away. We're <laughs> so, so far away from any action. I had what I would label clinical depression yesterday. It could yeah. be unrelated, but I found that I got up yesterday and I, was, I had all these things I was going to do. And then I came up to the attic and I was going to write. And then I sat in a chair and listened to a podcast for seven hours. And I was like, I can't, I can't do anything. I can't even draw a picture. I'm I'm listless. I'm rudderless. Well, today's the day the excitement would start to build. <sighs> yes. Today yeah. is supposed to be our day, and it's not. Mm. Yeah, so it's very frustrating. But, uh, you know, luckily there's tons of great gossip and stuff that oh. circulates around. I, there's almost more action when they're not racing, it feels like. They probably feel the same way. They got to make some, some headlines because they're not racing you're probably right if you're them you're like look guys when we have these gaps they just start digging and digging and digging into our personal lives and it's never great so uh -huh. just please keep us on the track yeah <laughs> well that's why lewis is always out skydiving or yeah sandboarding in the desert or something hasn't your boy max said that he's going to retire or leave f1 because he's so upset with the new sprint race format I hinted at that last episode. Yeah, I'd seen a little clip where he was basically saying, I don't know how long I'll be in this if they, if they go to that, which is, to me, really counterintuitive for him, which is like, he's a race machine. Anytime there's a, you know, a shootout, it feel, I feel like he's up for that. He said he wants to get <laughs> fat and drive his Harley. And he wants to, he was telling his girlfriend, he wants to pop that Harley right in the living room and she's not having it. But he's like, I just want to get fat and drive my Harley. Oh God, those are very achievable goals. Oh, when you make I 60 want. million a year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is this a disease, though, that just afflicts all people who end up dominating F1? Like, Lewis just never stopped moaning when he was winning everything, and now Max has caught the same problem. He like he just got nothing else to think about, so he's just always negative. Well, yeah, I mean, there's I'm sure there's, like, there's a, a real psychological component yeah. to this, which is, like, if he doesn't have the insurmountable obstacle in front of him that's taking up all of his attention, and he now is the obstacle that's uh -huh. insurmountable, where does his focus go to? And it sounds like to Milwaukee, to the home of Harley Davidson. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, he probably knows. I mean, he's the clear, clearly the best one out there. Any change is probably the only threat that he's got to face. I mean, it's not any drivers, any other teams, anything else. So any change to what's been going on the last two years plus yeah. is probably the only thing that he has to possibly be worried about. That's a great point. Yeah. He, it's like this system is working pretty perfectly for me. Nothing to worry about. We don't need to fuck with it in any shape. I like this new sprint idea though, do you? It, it basically takes out the, you know, the sprint races, everyone was so scared about what it would do to affect their position in, in the main race that everyone played it safe. So they're trying to get rid of that and inject some actual spice into the sprint races, which has got to be a good thing, I think. 
Oh, I think for the view, I don't think there's a single viewer in the world that would be against the sprint race. You get two fucking races that weekend. You still get quality. But they've changed it. So what they're doing, before you used to get on, so last year it was um, Friday would be free practice one and then qualifying for the sprint race. Then on Saturday you would have free practice two, which was weird because they'd already qualified for the sprint race. Then you'd have the sprint race, and wherever you finished in that sprint race, set your position for the grid on Sunday. So the problem is, if you're in the sprint race on Saturday, it's not really worth that much, points-wise. So why take the risk? So people aren't going for overtakes. People don't want to crash out because then they're at the back of the grid for Sunday. So now what they're saying is Friday you'll do practice and then qualifying for the main race. Saturday morning, you do qualifying for the sprint race, and then in the afternoon, you do the sprint, but it has no bearing on where you start on Sunday. You've already locked that in on Friday. So effectively, you can go for every move, you can damage your car, you can do anything. The teams won't be happy for budget caps and all that, but it means there's no risk to your position for big points on Sunday. So it's meant to allow Saturday to be much more action-packed and let the drivers just go crazy for those sprint races. Oh, this is incredible. I had no idea that's the new format. So then the only upside is whatever minuscule points are awarded for the sprint? And that's what, to the top eight in the yeah, sprint races? Yeah, so you, you get some points. Um, but yeah, you effectively, it's like a free hit. And it's a shorter race, so there's less strategy. So it should just be a free-for-all. And obviously there's a few things they need to work through. It's still a proposal, but I think it's going to definitely happen in Baku. They've got to think about tires and all that stuff. But from a viewer's point of view, a sprint race where they can all go for it and not care if they crash into each other or run wide and go for a move but lose two places, like who cares? They can just go for it. Like I say, it's a free hit. It's great. Well, it, it's awesome, but I, I would imagine if I were a driver, now that it's completely decoupled from the starting grid on Sunday, it seems to have no relevance. It's just like, oh, okay, now you guys just want us to race twice. Just mm -hmm. two races, yeah. It's kind of bizarre if, if when they decouple it from it all leading up to Sunday's big event. You can see why the drivers aren't happy with it. And by the way, they were, I didn't think anyone was pussyfooting the previous sprints that I've seen over the last two years. I don't, I, no, because they still, it helped their starting position, but also they yeah, could get points. Not exactly. a ton, but they could get They could something. get points, and they, they still can. But I think the point was if, say, you were in third place going for second, you're good to stay in there. And you've got two laps left or whatever, you're not going to go for the move because you know you're starting the Grand Prix on Sunday in third, but now you can because you can go for uh -huh. the move and, and not be worried um, and it won't affect your position. So they're going to be racers, so they should enjoy it because it's like go and get stuck in. Yeah, I, again, for me, for the viewer, I'm all about it, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I, that wasn't my experience watching those sprints. They I found them to be insanely competitive. Uh -huh. And then also you have, you know, maybe at the front the top three but in the mid pack people were driving the craziest they'd ever i mean that's how danny won the race at imola right he was a sprint yeah. that he and lewis had that epic comeback weekend he started last on the sprint yeah came back to like top five in that and then ended up winning in brazil i think but yeah yeah i'll take it any any way but yeah my first question jethro is so you're saying that's happening in baku and yet they don't have it completely figured out which seems insane. I think they, that you know what it's like. They've they've agreed it in principle, but they have to have unanimous um, decision. I believe Red Bull are a little bit upset about it because, like you say, they're winning uh -huh. everything. Why why risk anything? Basically, 
But yeah, something different's going to happen in Baku. I think Red Bull initially didn't want a sprint in Baku because they said it's such a high-risk right? yeah. circuit already mm. that they didn't want to get punted out um, and lose out on Sunday. So in some ways, it suits their agenda because even if one of them had an issue, they should be able to fix the car for Sunday. But on the other hand, they don't want it to change just because they know they've got such a comfortable margin the way things are running as they are. Yeah, I guess I just think I liked the added stakes of the results of this are also now going to impact Sunday. Yep. They should just make them worth more points because they were worth essentially nothing last year. But yeah, would you get a point if you won or something? Yeah. I think it was eight, eight down to, because it was a top eight, and I think it was like eight down to one or okay. something like that. Mm. I don't know shit about sprints. We do get two qualifying sessions as well, which could be quite cool. Yes, yeah, so they're talking about qualifying, and it's going to be one lap only. They're going to make it shorter. Yeah. So in Q3, you just get one lap to go for it, um, which could be cool. It's going to be exciting. That'll shake shit up. Yeah, worth the wait. They used to do one lap qualifying, you know, where everyone had a, a slot. So you sort of drew lots at the beginning of the weekend, and then you went out, and it was just one car on their own. They had one lap. That was it. So which... I quite enjoyed, but people didn't like it because obviously you had to sit through 17 cars that probably didn't have a chance of getting polled before you got to the the ones that could. But yeah, you basically went out one at a time and set, and you had one hit, that was it for qualifying. Is that wow. what NASCAR does too? They do it at Indy, don't they? Indy but, does that, yeah. Indy does it, but then when I was watching the Coda NASCAR race to watch Jensen, they were out in heats. So there was like three different uh. groups that are all out on the track at the same time. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Okay, so let's do some, which, because we've missed it for a couple of weeks, because there was so much action to talk about in the uh, the Melbourne meltdown. Let's address some questions uh, that have been posed on Instagram. And let's start with you, Charlie. You seem very queued up. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of got two questions. First is, can you explain how track limits work? And this is from Monica Demiano. Um, mm, so Monica you'll see, D. Monica D., um, so there's track limits on each track, um, and it just determines where a driver can and cannot drive. Um, and most of this is for safety, so they don't go too wide in certain spots, don't cut corners. Um, and it's also to make it fair. You know, you'll see drivers, they cut straight across a corner that will give them an advantage. Um, and so those track limits are defined by those white lines on the outside of the track. In most cases, they're allowed to touch these lines. They generally just can't have all four tires over that line. So you'll see them kind of go over a little or brush up against them. But as long as they keep one tire inside that line, they're in the clear. Um, and during a race, often drivers get warned if they've crossed over. Um, but if we're in qualifying, they'll eliminate track times because they've exceeded track limits. And really quick, the race, they're allowed to do it, what, four times or I something? I think three and they get the flag, the fourth one they get penalized. Okay. And it's also... It's a little arbitrary, right? There's a lot of turns and they kind of, you're watching practice and they're they're letting us know which ones they're going to be strict on. Because there's a ton of turns where they determine there is no advantage, probably disadvantage. Yeah, and they'll have like run out corners or turns where they're allowed to run out. Yeah, and they don't give a fuck. But yep. it's these ones where you can really pick up an advantage yep. that they're going to be strict on. They should bring back gravel traps so we don't need to worry about track limits. And then no one's gonna no one's gonna go over the track limits because they're in the gravel. It's stupid, all this white line crap. Yeah. And sometimes I mean they have to get the camera out and it's like it's amazing how good these drivers are at putting their car where they want it. Oh, but often when they're within track limits, it's by 
just a, a shoelace. Yeah, you see just a sliver of that white paint. And then there's been stupid ones this year, right? Um, Saudi Arabia, maybe, was it with the pit lane entrance was such that it made this track limit. You couldn't even touch it. Yeah. yeah, which was, it was, wasn't an advantage. It was silly. Yep. Yep. So that kind of leads into this uh, second question, which is, can you explain the type of penalties? Mm. And this is from 214 Girl. Oh, yeah. Um, so we have a couple different type of penalties. We've seen a, a few of them so far this year. We have time penalties. This was a big one. Uh, last race for science at the end of the race. But these are kind of for minor infractions. And the time penalty is a time will get added to your total time at the end of the race. So if you finish in an hour and a half, they'll tack on five seconds and place you according to that. Um, this we saw again with science happened to be under uh, a caution. So those five seconds were huge. But usually you'll hear drivers know in advance they have five seconds and, you know, over the radio, they'll tell them to push to make up that gap. So there's usually maybe you lose a place, maybe not because of that five second time penalty. Uh, we have drive through penalties. This is where the drivers require to come through pit lane, obviously at a slower speed, and that's their penalty. We have stop and go penalties. So they have to go again through pit lane, stop for a certain amount of time, and then they can head back out. Um, and then we have uh, grid penalties. So these are often for you're allowed a certain number of replacement parts on your car throughout the year. And if you exceed your allotted amount, you'll get a grid penalty, maybe five spots, 10 spots back of the grid, depending on how bad um, of a penalty it is. I kind of would be up for them doing what they do in MotoGP, motorcycle racing. If you get a penalty, they'll make you take a shitty line there's a couple turns on the track uh -huh. that you got to take like a long lap, oh. which I kind of dig because they're out there and then they're watching the dudes pass them and then they're getting infuriated and then they're on a terrible line and then they're pushing a little harder. So I wouldn't mind like a bozo line through the <laughs> F1 yeah. track that you had to take. It's not like an official, I guess it's a penalty, but it's a correction. When you do overtake someone illegally, like go outside of track limits, uh -huh. they make you give that spot back. And it's kind of like they're doing that. They're trying to figure out the the best worst line they can find to not give up too much as they let that car pass, which is always fun to watch. Yeah, there's almost more strategy in how to return a place than yeah. in any other thing. It's Max in particular <laughs> seems to be. Of course, he's always having to give away. <laughs> At least yeah. two seasons ago, he was regularly having to give Lewis. Well, and those guys in back know it too. So they don't want to give you the easy... The easy yeah, way out. Yeah, they make yeah. you really work to give that spot back. Matt, do you have a... Yeah, we got a question from Natty8Villa, and it was, when did F1 start? The history of F1, basically. So the first F1 championship was held in 1950, kind of post-World War II, um, but the roots of the sport go back to the early 1900s. But in the beginning, it was dominated by European manufacturers like Ferrari, Mercedes, Lotus, and the races were mostly held in European tracks and sometimes South America or Asia. But in the 1970s is when F1 underwent a significant change with the introduction of commercial sponsorships and the rise of the first superstar, Niki Lauda. And the 1980s saw an emergence of new contenders like Williams, McLaren, and really that's when it kind of started to really blow up. And then since then, we've seen a lot of rivalries between like Senna, Prost, Schumacher, and kind of in the 2000s, it really kind of started to blow up. And then obviously most recently Drive to Survive really exploded us. But it's been going around for a long time, but it's just continuously grown. I got to be honest, I was a little shocked. Again, I cannot 
tout this enough, the Alonzo documentary docu-series yeah. on Amazon. It sounds like, Matt, maybe have you watched it? Yeah, I'm kind of episode two, and it is, what a driver. He's a motherfucker, man. He is Holy a, shit. He is a motherfucker. Uh, but I was kind of shocked to see where the Indianapolis 500 sits in the pantheon of racing that, it, you know, it, these guys do revere that race and it yeah. is the oldest race and it has the most history. And I don't know why that pleased me, I guess. Obviously anyone who loves formula one talks shit on Indy, but it was nice to see that it has a really relevant spot in motorsports history. Yeah. And a lot of um, F1 teams have been out there to try and crack Indy. Lotus did it with um, Jim Clark back in the day. Um, they had races between uh, IndyCar guys and F1 guys in in Monza as well on the old banking in Italy. They yeah. called what did they call it? I think they called it Monzopolis, Ooh, and sure. they had IndyCars and uh, and F1 cars and all sorts of weird, wonderful sports cars, even like Le Mans cars on there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's there's a big history with that, and there is a lot of F1 drivers who who want to crack Indy as well. Yeah, and what only Damon Hill, I guess maybe Mario Andretti, or I don't know how many dudes have won in both uh worlds um jack villeneuve canadian oh yeah oh. Mm -hmm. jim clark i'm pretty sure he won he certainly got pole i think he broke down one year but i think he went back and won it nigel mansell won the formula one world championship williams booted him out for some bizarre reason or, or there was a big controversy about whether he was going to get a seat for the next year so he went to indy immediately won indycar the title and i'm pretty sure he won the 500 as well uh he was a british guy uh, Real bulldog in the car, fantastic driver. I got to say, watching Alonso try to win uh, Indianapolis 500 twice, there was some element where I was like, oh, there's something mildly more pure about that race in that there's not even a high percentage chance he's going to win. Like he could, if he dropped into F1 and he dropped right into the Red Bull car, he has a significant 50% chance of winning. But it doesn't really matter where he drops into the Indianapolis 500. It's still a, I don't know how many, they talk about how many lead changes are in that race. You know, uh -huh. it's like for 200 of the laps, it'll look one way. So in some bizarre way, it felt like a more leveled egalitarian uh, contest than say modern F1 does. Yeah, I got, um, one of the questions I was going to address, which sort of feeds into it, Gnar Lian asked difference between F1 and IndyCar. Which sort of feeds into that, and the IndyCar is a sort of a spec series. So every car has exactly the same chassis. There are two engine suppliers, Honda and Chevy, and then it's just setup tweaks effectively. But it's it's the same car that they're running uh, with a choice of two engines. So it's naturally going to be incredibly close. Whereas F1 is there's regulations that you have to work to, but every single chassis and every single car is different. There are common parts like ECUs and. Some of the cars share engines and even suspension systems, but effectively they're all developing their own car, which is incredibly costly and complex. And F1 is definitely the pinnacle, uh, much, much quicker. I think you were saying Dax, like nine seconds a lap difference round oh, Cota last no, week. I think it's um, 14 or 15. It's pretty stark. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. huge. Yeah. So, so, so the cost is much cheaper in, in IndyCar to get into. So that's less of a barrier to entry. Um, the cars are naturally close because they've all got Delara chassis. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a different formula. It's more of a spec formula. The only thing Indy has on F1 is they do go much faster, right? They're hitting like 238 or some shit. At yeah, 240 around some of those big tracks. Yeah, they're really, really quick. Is it generally a one-way transition? Like, are any Indy drivers getting 
you know, any champions in the Indy series going over to Formula One and having success? Or is it pretty much just Formula One down to Indy? Generally speaking, Formula One go to Indy and, and do pretty well. But Jacques Villeneuve won Indy first and then came over to F1. Nigel Mansell did it the opposite direction. There's a couple of guys that McLaren are sort of trying to get over to F1 at the moment. Pato Ward, who was uh, going to come in. Who's the other guy? that, that there's, there's three or four currently that um, they feel are F1 standard drivers. But historically, it's not gone brilliantly when IndyCar guys have come over to F1. Great education. Thank you guys so much for walking us through those questions. There's a couple thousand more uh, waiting for us in the queue, so uh, I doubt we will run out uh, anytime soon. Let's go to some juicy pulp from the paddock. Nick DeVries, I think this is a very fascinating bit of soap drama that's happening, right? Uh, that Nick DeVries was funded by a fellow countryman. He was lent $250,000 to pay for his race career, which is pricey. And he had agreed to a 3% interest rate on that. And then also the, the loaner of the money would get a share of his earnings in F1 if he were to make it into F1 by 2022. And the lender was claiming since he had done the one race last year for Williams that he was now entitled to some percentage of his future earnings. And a court just found that that didn't count, that officially he was a Formula One driver in 2023. So he's not on the hook to that person. And apparently he had already paid this person 190000 in interest payments. I didn't realize this was an investment opportunity. I'm interested. I want to kind of go to some like karting championship races and just offer some of these kids. Just do like a, a long shot bet on four of them. Sure. Uh -huh. You go, okay, this is a million dollars, a very expensive bet. But one of these four guys is going to make several hundred million dollars right. if I loan him this money. Did it say what the percentage that guy was going after? No, they just keep saying a percentage of the winnings. But I, yeah, I would love to know if that is that 10%. Is that what is that? I mean, it's got to come out to a lot if you're. So some young drivers should send you their Excel sheets and to try to pitch their option absolutely i thank yeah. you matt yes um for putting it that way i'm i'm starting a shark tank-esque uh investment for program and maybe <laughs> maybe all four of us will meet with these young carding kids and see who we get a vibe from they got to be top three already though <laughs> it does break my heart though it's it kind of mirrors like ncaa shit that always drives me nuts for these yeah. poor, poor people take um most famously the usc reggie bush R R reggie bush uh -huh. And, you know, they took his Heisman for basically taking money. But most importantly, now he did buy himself, I think, uh, an Impala SS, which is a great car to buy. Well, with that he bought money. his mama house. Thank you. 90% of what he was given took his mother out of an insanely violent ghetto and put her in a home. And I saw an interview with her and him about this. And I thought if I were him and they took my Heisman, I would do a little press conference. And I would say, I would hold up this fucking Heisman and say, if you think I would pick this over my mother's safety for four yeah. years, you can suck my dick all day long. Like yeah. that's, that, what an insane, and it, and, it, and it breaks my heart that kids like that are in a position where they're deciding whether or not they want their mother around uh, bullets hailing all over the place or, you know. A trophy. And similarly, you get a kid like Nick DeVries, who I'm not the enormous fan of, but he can't afford to race. It's so expensive. It's all these fucking rich kids that do it. 
And then you have a kid that's just doing it through talent and he needs money. And now he's going to enter basically with student loan debt. You know, he's yeah. going to, he's going to, people own a chunk of him. Kind of breaks my heart. But it is cool to see all these athletes now getting paid a ton. Yes. A ton, yeah, a ton. Great. And especially not so much like the big, um, like football and basketball, but a lot of the like women's basketball. Oh, yeah, gymnasts. They're coming out saying, like, I'm going to stay in college. I'm getting more than I would if yes. I went pro. I love it. And they're getting so much money. As they should. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh -huh. Oh, totally. And they couldn't like do dumb stuff like sell a jersey they wore or sign any autograph. Like they couldn't do anything. They could be in a things. McDonald's commercial. Yeah. Yeah. This is nuts. All right, Matt. What, what do you got? Okay. You're going to like this one. Um, Zach Brown made a couple challenges leading up to Vegas. So Zach Brown challenged Toto to a boxing match. And oh, this is oh, this is legit. No. He challenged him. He has yet to hear from Toto Wolf. That's the first challenge he made. The second challenge is that he wants to propose a special race against Horner. And because they both used to cart. So they want he said through both of these bets out there when they're in Vegas and I don't see him winning either unless he secretly trained in boxing when he was younger and he thinks he doesn't. Even up, still but wouldn't matter. If he doesn't knock him out in the first punch, he's he's going to be winded four seconds in. This is like me challenging uh, the torpedo to a foot race. What's the wonderful Jamaican <laughs> Hussein Bolt. Bolt? Hussein Bolt. Yeah, it's like me challenging Hussein Bolt to a foot race. Uh, that's about as good of his odds were beating six foot seven, reach galore, in shape, billionaire. Listen, I would pay almost anything to sit ringside to that yeah. fight. I oh, I, I wow. pray it happens. We'd go to Vegas just for that. Absolutely. Yeah. And then wait, he's saying he himself is going to race Christian Horner. That's yep, absolutely. Yeah, I, but but given those two, if we do a bet within the bets, I'd say uh, Zach's possibilities of beating Toto in a car are much greater than in a boxing match. Mm -hmm. He at least for sure. could have a better car. He yeah. should have reversed those bets. Yes, yeah, for sure. Oh wow, well that's great. I think Toto yeah. raced as well. I think, I think Toto raced as well. They've all yeah. got a little history of it. Those Toto's guys. done everything that he needs to. Yeah, yeah. he's he's well rounded. And then. The last one that I have is um, some video came in. So Charles was in his car or outside of his car and some fans came up to him and talked. And then two seconds later, he realized that his $320,000 watch was not on his hand. So he chased them through the streets on his Ferrari and just <laughs> missed them. Like you, the police just released the video of it. Mm. And you can actually see the guy who stole the watch pull over pass it off to another car. I think he was on a scooter, like a scooter or car, pulled it in, gave it to another one. And you see Charles drive by that exchange and missed it. But they just arrested four guys and the police just released the video. So Charles full-blown raced through the streets chasing after his watch thief. And what was he going to do when he got there? <laughs> I, I, my probably nothing, question. but it was, <laughs> you know, maybe just for a press stunt or Take whatever. I'm sure oh. he had it insured. I'm, I'm sure those were hired thieves so that he could race through town in his Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. They took it off his wrist while he was interacting with them and he didn't notice. Yeah. Is that like a hand, just like, handshake? Yeah, thing? just like, it's just a quick little move. It's a well-known move. Impressive. The well shake and snatch. Move. He yeah, got. He got. A, he was the victim of a shake and snatch. The old, snatch. The old, the old slap and suck and the <laughs> shake and snatch. It's a slap and suck. 
Um, this isn't really pulp. I just really enjoyed watching this clip. It was of uh, Yost Verstappen, which we talk about. I guess he's the villain in our show, maybe. For, he's the archetype. <laughs> but uh, there's a little thing about his first year in Formula One in 94. His very first race uh, in Brazil, he fully launched the car and flipped many times in the air after crashing into Martin Brundle, our, f our favorite uh, telecaster from Sky. That was race number one. And then race number nine was this great photo that you sent to us this week, Jethro, which was uh, Jos Verstappen completely disappearing in a nuclear size fireball <laughs> in the pit lane. His entire car exploded in flames. And uh, that was race nine. And then his his teammate that year was Schumacher, who went into the last race one point ahead of Damon Hill and then just smashed into him so that neither could finish and he won the season. So his first year in Formula One, uh, trial by fire, I mean, literally and figuratively. Yeah. I heard a little uh -huh. a clip on social media of, of an interview with him, and it was about his fathering practices with max and it was kind of not good but a little endearing i mean he more or less said like yep i was hard at him of course i would change some things not everything and no one knows how hard it is to raise a max, a max. like yeah and yeah. He, no one does and i can only imagine i mean to get to that level obviously if it was easy everyone would be there but he did say yeah of course you know there were some mistakes but yeah Remember we talked about the alleged gas station incident where he left him at the gas station? So the new biography of Max Verstappen, I saw a clip from it, and Max talks about that, and it's a real thing. He just left him at a gas station after a race and took off. <laughs> and I tried to find that documentary. I hope every time Max crosses that finish line first and sees that checkered flag waving, he thinks, thank God he left me at that gas yeah. station. I owe this yeah. moment to that abandonment at that gas station it's hard to pinpoint but it sounds like maybe he knows the exact moment a champion was born so does his dad <laughs> well guys uh any other gossip any other pulp any other exciting stuff uh to get us through these doldrums that's that i just got to figure out how to watch this max documentary it's on a weird streaming service from somewhere it's not on anything it's, it's going to be a deep dive to watch it but is it out already out it. or it's out now. It's like some weird streaming service I've never heard of in my life. I don't even know if we can get it in the U.S. or what, but if we can, we need to get it and watch it together to hold us over that would, next week. Till, that's yeah. a great mission for us. Well, you think it's on some bizarre Dutch streamer or something? It is. I, I looked, and it's on a strange... <laughs> I, I've never heard of it, so I, but I feel Network? like we could make it happen. <laughs> the Tulip yeah, Channel? Mm. Van Gogh? Tulip streaming. I'm out of yeah. uh, Dutch stereotypes. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we will be back next week with more gossip. And uh, I imagine when we're a little bit closer to Baku, which is uh, April 27th, hey, hopefully there'll be some more team announcements. We'll probably be hearing about different components coming and a little more actual race theory mm -hmm. will be starting to, to percolate in uh -huh. anticipation. So until then, I encourage everyone to push, 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 push.
This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. 